This is the Crushing the Myth podcast produced by Talking Taiwan, and I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Crushing the Myth is an Asian-American speaker series featuring stories that make people listen, learn, and get inspired. This week's Crushing the Myth episode features a talk by Penelope Shu. Be sure to listen until the very end of this episode for an update from Penelope. My name is Penelope Shu. I am a pediatrician, and I am a professional actor, and I am a life and leadership coach. And I am the speaker coach for Crushing the Myth. And I know that that doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I hope that it does by the end of my story. So my story really is about the struggle to find balance, the balance between the two sides of myself. I've always loved the arts and the sciences. I grew up playing four different musical instruments. I got to play Carnegie Hall when I was in high school. I competed nationally in dance. I studied at a bunch of different acting conservatories in New York. But I was also a total science nerd. I loved biology. I was a bio and psych double major pre-med at an Ivy League college. And I was able to manage my two passions, my two sides, pretty well throughout high school and college. But that all got thrown out the window when I got to medical school. Because medical school sucks. (laughs) It's so bad. Um, You know, there's not a lot of time in medical school for sleep, let alone learning lines or choreographing a routine. So my first year of medical school, I didn't do anything creative, and it really killed me. I felt really empty inside, and honestly, by the end of my first year of medical school, I was clinically depressed. So I decided to spend my summer out here in sunny California. So I came out here and I did the whole starving actor thing. I crashed on my friends' couches and I did literally anything I could get. I I did extra work. I did student films. I did music videos. I was temping at NBC Studios, Warner Brothers Studios, anything to feel creative and be part of a creative industry. I had a blast. And I went back to medical school after that summer, totally revitalized. And I get back to campus and I notice that all of my classmates are looking at me like this. And they're like walking around like this. And the few that will talk to me are saying things like, so your summer was good? You look good. And I was like, what the hell is going on? So I finally got one of my classmates to confess that the rumor had gone around that after our first year of medical school, I had had a complete nervous breakdown. And I suddenly thought I was an actor. And I moved to LA because I had a new identity as an actor. They thought that I had had a psychotic break. (laughs) That's so fucked up, right? (laughs) So that was really disappointing because I realized in that moment that All of my classmates, all 150 of them, and probably most of the medical culture at large, could only understand my desire to be artistic as a sign of mental illness. Right? For me to want to be an artist meant that I had to be literally insane. So I stopped talking to everybody in my medical school class. (laughs) Didn't really have any friends after that, but I managed to run off to L.A. every time I could throughout medical school. But then that gets all thrown out the window when you get to residency, because residency sucks even more than medical school. Because now you're working 100-hour weeks, and for me, I had literally children's lives in my hand at stake. And so I knew that there would be no time to even read a play, let alone learn lines, and that there'd be no more running to LA for summer vacations anymore. So I knew that my artistic side was going to die in residency, and that crushed me. But the science-loving part of me 
also started to die out of just sheer physical exhaustion. You know, residency does train you to stay awake for 36 hours at a time and be perfect that whole time. Get every procedure right, get every diagnosis right, be 100% present for your patient. You're taught that being a good doctor means you should be able to do all of those things without needing sleep, or food, or water, or going to the bathroom, or taking a shower. And I vividly remember being trained to literally watch an infant die in front of me. 20 minutes later, say hello to my next patient and say nothing and feel nothing. And after several months of training like that, it worked. I didn't feel sad. I also didn't feel angry. I also didn't feel happy. I felt nothing. The artistic side of me had already died. My physical body was starting to break down. And emotionally, I was completely dead inside. So I figured that the next logical step would be for me to just go actually die. So I drove myself to the foot of a bridge near my house in Queens, New York, and I was going to jump. And I remember sitting in my car, trying to calculate how long it would take for hypothermia to actually kick in, because I'm a science nerd. <laughs> I'm going to figure out how I'm going to die and how long it's going to take. I figured someone of my size, it was December in New York, someone of my size, if I took off all my clothes, hypothermia would probably kill me in about 11 minutes which meant that I'd only really feel cold for about eight and a half, and I thought that I could handle that. I remember looking at the current going by, and again, math nerd, trying to figure out the speed <laughs> of the current so that I could calculate if I would float far enough away by morning so that my parents would never have to deal with the shame of finding me. The only thing that kept me from jumping that night was the voice of my grandmother, my nanai, up in heaven. And I just heard her say over and over and over again, not like this and not today. Not like this and not today. And somehow I, I just clung on to that voice and I somehow managed to not jump off that bridge that night. What I did do is I went to my residency director the next day and I quit. I quit my residency and I went into acting full-time in New York and I did the same stuff. I did every off, 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 off Broadway play I could find, extra work, temping the whole night, and I had a blast for a year until I realized that I was still out of balance because I wasn't helping people and I missed that. So I actually went back to residency. But this time, I went back guns blazing. I was like, I don't even give a shit if y'all think that I'm crazy. I have to perform during this time or I will die. And my residency director, I remember him looking at me like, I don't know what that means, but we'll figure it out. And I was like, yeah, we're going to have to figure this out. And we did. I actually did a play my third year of residency, which meant that I was in the ER from Monday through Thursday, and then I did the show Friday through Sunday, and I did that for like 45 days in a row, and you would have thought that I would have been physically dead, but I had never felt more alive. Because I finally figured out how to be me, how to be both a doctor and an actor, how to live a life of and, as I call it. And I had a blast. I graduated residency and moved out here to LA. I got a job at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles in their ER, and I volunteered for as many night shifts as I could get because I told my boss and my coworkers from day one, I will be spending my days acting, doing auditions and going to classes. And they were like, okay, that's fine. 
But every now and then, I would get called for an audition while I was on a day shift. And God bless my coworkers, man, because I'd be like, oh, no, I think I have to go on a late lunch today <laughs> at, like, 4.30. <laughs> I might wind up at, like, La Cienega and Sunset. <laughs> and God bless all my coworkers. They were always, always, like, just, just go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I run to my car, and y'all know this drill, right? I'm putting on makeup at every stop sign. I'm changing into the outfit that I have in the back of the, you know, the back of the seat. I'm flashing everybody down Sunset Boulevard, which is, you know, not a big deal on Sunset Boulevard. Go to the audition, do the audition, hop back in the car, take off the makeup, put back on the scrubs, run to the ER, relieve my friend who's been manning the ER alone for like 90 minutes, send him to lunch, go back and start seeing the patients, order the IVs, read the X-rays, and get to it. It was absolutely chaotic, but I, again, I loved it because I found my way to achieve balance. A couple of years after that, some personal stuff brought me back to New York, and I continued to do the same stuff. I still see patients clinically. I still act whenever I can. A bunch of my friends and I have done sketches that you can find on the interwebs and whatnot. Um, but a really interesting thing started happening a couple of years ago. Wherein I think because I've become so comfortable talking about my story now and just living this way, I really don't care what anybody thinks of me anymore, um, that I've been asked to give speeches like this in front of groups like this more often. <laughs> People want to know why I live this very bizarre life. <laughs> but more interestingly to me, people would ask me how. They'd come up to me afterwards and be like, what exactly did you do? Because I want to do the same thing. I, I want to find some balance, too. I want to rediscover what my passions are. What should I do? And so a couple of years ago, I decided to become a life and leadership coach so I could help people in a more formalized way achieve their definition of balance. And in so doing, I've actually created this whole new way of balance for myself, which I didn't even think was possible. You know, I used to find balance by ping-ponging between my two worlds. I'd be in the ER, I'd go to the audition and come back. I have friends in the audience who I'm sure remember me running to rehearsal in my scrubs, coming straight from the ER to rehearsal. But now because of the speeches that I give and the workshops that I do, the trainings that I do with organizations, I'm finding that I'm able to sort of use all of my skills at the same time, at the same place, which is crazy. Like, right now. <laughs> I have a live audience. I have a mic. I have a light. I know my lines. I wrote my lines. <laughs> so the creative aspect of me gets checked. But I also know that by telling my story and sharing my story, by saying things like, it's okay to have a moment on the bridge. It's okay to say that you're depressed. It's okay to say you want to do something as crazy as be an actor, that I am still helping people. And when I do my trainings and when I do my coaching with my individual clients, I'm definitely using all the tried and true techniques that I've learned, right? From medical school, from my coaching training, from my psych background. So that science loving, want to help people box also gets checked. And if you would have told me all those years ago when I was staring at that bridge that night, that my life could look like this now, that not only would I find a way to live, but I'd be able to do it and honor all of me all the time, be able to use all of my passions and all of my skills simultaneously, I would have said that it wasn't possible and I would have told you that you were crazy. <laughs> and maybe it is a little bit crazy because this has been the most difficult, challenging, magical, enlightening adventure of my life and I would not have it any other way. Thank you. Now, let's hear what Penelope has been up to since doing her Crushing the Myth talk. 
Hi, everyone. This is Penelope. Thank you so much for listening to my story on the podcast. Just to give you guys a quick update on what I've been doing since then, um, I've been running. I've been definitely living this very busy, hectic, crazy version of balance. I am still practicing as a pediatrician, so I've been still seeing patients all throughout COVID. Uh, We never close. I never stop seeing patients. And so, yeah, I'm still on the front lines, running out of PPE, not knowing what to do about guidelines. And I'm also coaching a lot. Uh, My coaching entity is called Guiding Clarity, and I've been working a lot during this time with the two groups of people I know the best, um, the medical professionals as well as the Asian American professionals. With my physician clients, I do a lot on work-life balance on stress management, on how to try to stay sane during these really, really difficult times. And with my Asian American clients, it has been a lot of the same, right? Everybody needs some stress management these days. But it's also been about trying to find out what your new balance could look like in this brave new world. If the world really is upside down, how do you want to come out? What do you want in your life? What would that balance look like? So even though it's been super hectic and very stressful, I've been having the time of my life. As you guys know now, I don't mind being running around busy and hectic. As long as I feel like I am helping people, um, I feel fulfilled. So um, that's what I've been up to. Thank you again for listening. If you feel like you need support in any way, shape, or form um, regarding your mental health, regarding stress, regarding your future plans, please, please, please come find me. I will help you find your balance. Um, I am listed on all the things on Facebook and Insta under Guiding Clarity as well as under my full name, Penelope Shu. Thank you all. Please stay well. Please stay safe and take care. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Crushing the Myth, visit www.crushingthemyth.com and their YouTube channel, which features video clips of all of their speakers' talks. If you enjoy listening to the stories of interesting people, check out my other podcast, Talking Taiwan. And if you love what we're doing with Crushing the Myth, let your friends know about the Crushing the Myth podcast. Or better yet, write us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It will help get Crushing the Myth discovered.